Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to come together as family this morning, Lord. And Father, for those who may still be on their way, Father, we ask for travel mercies and protection, God. Uh, we still, uh, Father, just ask for your healing touch upon Gilda. She's not feeling well this morning, Lord, that you would um, just strengthen her body, God. And uh, Father, I just pray as we come into this time together, God, first to worship through music and then through your word, God. I, I just pray that we would be able to put a put away the distractions of this world and what may have gone on this week in our lives and really uh, tune our ears to you, Holy Spirit, to what you have for us, that our hearts would be good soil to receive and that we may be quick to act on what you, whatever you may reveal to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.
you'll just stand to your feet if you're physically able, if you would stand to your feet right now. Would you just raise your hands one more time toward heaven? And listen now, let's just begin to worship him all over this building in the overflow. We're going to pray for every one of you that desire prayer tonight. The same anointing in here is flowing into that room right now. Let's just begin to worship him now. Just for a few moments, let's entertain his presence. Let's worship him right now. Just give him glory. Close your eyes, lift your hands. Tell him in your own way how much you love him. Tell him in your own way what he means to you. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. Precious Jesus. I sing praises to your name. Sing it with me. Oh 
you, Lord. Father, there's no one like you. Thank you, Father, for this morning and for the opportunity to gather and open up your word, Lord, to be encouraged. Father, to press in, to continue to persevere. God, we thank you that you've given us everything we need to live a godly life. Thank you, Father, that you are faithful to complete what you have begun in us. Thank you, Father, that you call us to a life of surrender and obedience. And so wherever we may find ourselves today, my God, I pray that we will look unto you, the author and the finisher of our faith, that, God, we wouldn't let our circumstances or even the very sin to define us, but, God, that we would allow your truth your righteousness to define us. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. For we know that our hope in him will never disappoint us. God, you have called us out of darkness for such a time as this. To live within this generation that so desperately needs to hear of the name of Jesus. A generation that so desperately needs to see Christians living as Christians. You have raised us to be the light of this darkened generation. So God, let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not get overwhelmed or anxious for anything. But in everything, Father, may we seek you. May we call upon the name of Jesus. May we go forth doing your will that your kingdom would advance and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis chapter 18, verse 20 is where we're heading. And we're going to be reading through chapter 19, verse 38. We are walking through the Bible. <coughs> what was the scripture again? Genesis chapter 18, verse 20 through 19, verse 38. Lesson 8 of our series of walking through the Bible. And today as we open up, we're going to see and get an understanding of how important it is 
to heed the warning of the Lord. To not look back once he calls you out. To understand that our God is a just God. My hope as we are walking through the Bible is that we will get a clear picture of who our God is and how we're to respond to him. We will see, as we've been seeing through Genesis and then our time in Matthew, and as we get back to the Psalms, and then we end in Proverbs each week for now, because that's kind of the course that we're on until we get through those books. But then we get a really good, clear picture of who our God is. Not because we have formed and fashioned Him that way. No, because that is who He is. God's Word reveals to us who He is. We can't pick and choose what we want Him to be. No, as the people of God, we need to allow Him to be God. God. A just God. A merciful God. A loving God. And as we know, it's not popular to preach about sin, to talk about sin, to talk about God's wrath because of sin. But we must not go the way of the world, who likes to water down the message. You know, we need to allow his message to be his message. There's a reason why, all throughout Scripture, we see God dealing harshly with sin. Because sin is destructive. The flesh is destructive. It is in total rebellion against God. It will never follow in obedience. The life that God calls us to live, the flesh will always go its way. There's nothing good in the flesh. God understands this. That's why he sent Jesus. I know a lot of times when people hear preachers preach about sin, all they hear is the condemnation part. And they always say, well, I can never be good enough. I can never measure up enough. And so they close down and they shut off and they just pull away from God. But that's not the intent of being revealed in God's word how he deals with sin. To expose sin is not to draw you away from God. No, it should draw you towards God. It should show you your need for Him. Because He loved us so much that He gave Jesus up for us. Jesus willingly laid His life down. So that we would be restored to God. Such great love. To love a creation that is in total rebellion towards you, and yet still love them. To reveal himself to us. And say, no, come this way. I understand your weakness, and your desires, and your rebellion. But in my understanding, I've making a way. Those issues of life, the sin nature that you were born into, does not have to control you any longer. There's a new way of living. If you're in Christ, you've been born again. 
born again of the new. And now it's a process of maturing and growing. When you gave your life to Christ, as we all can attest, you're not perfect. There's still some inner workings within you daily that try to creep up. We understand that the, the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But we're called to walk in the spirit habitually so that we will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You know that we are to walk habitually in the spirit, growing and maturing. Our goal, again, is not perfection. Our goal is maturing. We will not be perfect until we are with him. But again, that doesn't give us the license to continue to sin. It doesn't give us the right to continue to live for ourselves, to do what we please. Because we understand if our eyes have been opened, if our nature has been changed, we have an understanding. That yet though sin may raise its ugly head, that old nature, that flesh may raise its ugly head. We don't have to give in to it. We have self-control. We have the victory already established. But do we believe it? Do we seek to honor him each and every single day of our lives? And all that we say and do. And when we fail and when we fall, we get up. We repent. We turn back to Him. We reconcile relationships because we serve a God of reconciliation. We don't allow our temporalness of life to continue to define us because we know that this earth and this world is not our home. That our home is with Him. And so we're growing. So I just want to encourage us before we get into this message. I don't want you to, to, to beat yourself up. And we've talked about that before. Many times. Instead of allowing the Holy Spirit to bring conviction to our lives. That, that we would respond to repentance. We feel condemnation and we beat ourselves up and we make everything about us. And that's not the way to go. It's not the way to go. He's a just God. And from the beginning until he returns, he will deal harshly with sin. His wrath is being stored up because of sin. So if we get a glimpse all through scripture that God deals with sin harshly, how should we be dealing with it? The same. We should see how destructive it is, not just for our lives, but for our loved ones, for our neighbors, for our friends. We just can't continue in this generation to laugh along with them. 
We can't in this generation continue to go along with them. We can't keep pretending that they're saved when they're not. Reality is, it is destruction. It is a path of destruction. And nothing good will come from it. But the Bible says, for believers, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. The Bible encourages believers to continue to press in, to persevere, to allow your, your, the character of Christ to be matured in you. Because there's work to be done. You have been engrafted into his kingdom. A kingdom that cannot be shaken. You have been called to do greater things. To live your life in obedience as unto the Lord. To seek Him with your whole heart. To love Him with total abandonment. To allow Him to be God. And give yourself a break. Give yourself some time to grow up in it. You're going to have failures. You're going to fall. You're going to slip. You're going to be times and seasons in your life where life is just, you're just going to feel lost and empty. But God is still with you because you can hold on to his promises that he will never leave you nor forsake you. But all through those seasons, all through the falling, all through the slipping, get up. He makes a way out of every temptation. He tells us to throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. What sin so easily entangles you? You shouldn't be enslaved to it. Because you're freed from it. So throw it off. Don't allow it to continue to define you. Don't allow it to continue to define you. We are going to read in Genesis today. This account always stirs up within me. Like, oh God, what are we doing in our generation? What are we doing in our cities, in our towns, in our nations? As believers, the righteous ones, those called out of darkness, those who bear his name, Do they see a difference in us? Or have we grown complacent? Have we allowed ourselves to just kind of adapt to society? Have we allowed ourselves to just settle and get comfortable? As a child of God, you're not to allow yourself to adapt, to get comfortable and just exist. No, you are to bear witness. To bear witness. And we're going to read about Abraham's nephew, Lot. Y'all remember Lot? We read about him already. But we've got more to read. 
Where did Lot move? Sodom. Remember, there was some issues going on with him, with Abraham, with, with, their, with their clan. And Lot saw with his eyes that which looked good, and that's where he went. And he established himself and his family in the midst of a wicked and perverse city. Because it looked good. It felt right. Adapted himself to the culture. The Bible says that Lot was righteous. Yet, even in that declaration, Lot settled. Settled. And in his settling, it affected his wife and his children. Listen, there's a lot of parents and grandparents sitting in churches today. They love the Lord. But in their zeal for God, They're not truly allowing themselves to be used of God. They've settled to what life has given them. And it's affecting their spouses and their children, their families, their grandkids. Nothing's coming from it. It's not how it should be. Our loved ones need to see us living for God. Loving God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our bodies, and with all of our strength. They need to see that there is a difference in your life because you've been born again. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not about being perfect, but it's even, they need to see your failures. They need to see you be quick to be forgiven and to forgive. They need to see you putting into practice your life in Christ, upholding the standards. God, we're going to read, and Michelle, we're going to Genesis 18, verse 20 is where we're heading. We're going to read that God from heaven knows all that's going on in Sodom and in Gomorrah. He knows and he sees and he hears the wickedness that is going on in these cities. Such sin and rebellion Increasing more and more. And so God comes down. And that's what we're picking up today. Verse 20. So the Lord told Abraham, I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah. Look at this. Because their sin is so 
flagrant. I'm going down to see if their actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. Could you imagine that these cities, their sin, the rebellion is so great that God himself is coming to check it out. He knows all. He sees all. These people in, this, in these cities, they couldn't care less about God. They were living off of their appetites, doing what they want to do, living how they want to live. It was all about their appetites. Let me do me. Let me live how I want to live, do what I want to do, Leave me be. Rebellion at its finest. Rebellion at its finest. See, we all have that in common when we are living in the flesh. We're so selfish. It's all about me, myself, and I. And if you're in my way, you better get out of it. And if I want it, I'm going to take it. See, when sin increases that way. All types of sin begin to manifest at such an extreme measure. And yet, though, we understand this as believers, that the Bible warns us that in the last days, people will be just as worse as Sodom and Gomorrah and the days of Noah. What's interesting, if you remember in Noah's story, it was the whole earth who was living like Sodom and Gomorrah. The whole earth. In this account, we're hearing of two cities who are people, all people, except one, Lot is living in total, absolute rebellion. Give us what we want. You know how dark those places must have been? And yet, and yet, it looked right to the eye. Remember when Lot looked towards them, it was lush, it was green. It looked good. It looked pleasing to the eye. Careful what we think is good to the eye. Because underneath it, it's destruction. And isn't that how sin is? When it comes to, to entice us, it looks good, it feels good for the moment. And yet, it leaves us hungry for more. We want more, 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 we want more. And in the end, it destroys us. Well, 
what's it going to hurt to do this? Ah, oh, come on. You're taking the fun out of life. Let's live how we want. Let's do as we want. Let's eat and drink and be merry. That's the mind and the heart of a temporal-minded person who is bound to their flesh and to their rebellion towards God. See, becoming a Christian doesn't strip you of fun. Becoming a Christian doesn't keep you from the, from the pleasures, if you will, of life. No, 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 no. Becoming a Christian <laughs> connects you to God, the creator of heaven and earth. I've always said, if you think God is boring or the Christian life is boring, it has nothing to do with God. It has all to do with you. Because how could you think God, the creator of heaven and earth, is boring? You see, there's work to be done on this earth. There is a way in which you live that your life is fulfilled and you don't have to seek the pleasures of this earth and of this life to find fulfilling. You don't have to seek a man or a woman or anything else or anyone else to find a sense of, of, of wholeness or purpose because in God, in Christ, you find your purpose. You find your identity. You live differently now. You walk differently now. You talk differently now. You're learning to grow and mature in this new life. Just as much effort and time that you put into your old life. Because as you were growing and maturing in your flesh, you grew and you mature in the things in which you desired and you began to identify with it. So that's how you began to live. As it is when you're born again, you have a new desire. It's a things that are of, of, of God. It's of righteous living. And so you begin to grow and you begin to mature in the way in which you ought to live now. But could you imagine the sin, the rebellion within these cities, God himself says. I have heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. Verse 22, the other men turned and headed towards Sodom. But the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? What boldness to come before God. What boldness to, to question God. And in his questioning, it wasn't an arrogant, mind you, it wasn't a... a, a, a haughtiness about Abraham. No, Abraham was concerned. Abraham was concerned. Abraham knew Lot and his family were there. And destruction was on its way. Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there. In the city, will you sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why would you be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same? Surely you wouldn't do that. 
Should not the judge of the earth do what is right? And the Lord replied, If I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Wow. Then Abraham spoke again. Since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord. Even though I am but dust and ashes, suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people there. Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. Please, please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, Since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose only 10 are found there. And the Lord replied, Then I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way, and Abraham returned to his tent. Oh, how it's important for the righteous to truly be living within their cities. There is a purpose and a plan for us, you all, as children of God. If you're sitting here today and you are a child of God, that's why it is vital that you're living as one. Abraham was bold to intercede. And I love the picture that even Abraham considered his own humanity. I'm only but dust and ashes. Who am I, God, to speak to you? But, but God, if you would. What a beautiful picture of intercession, of praying for our loved ones, of pleading on their behalf, of trusting God to be just. That evening, the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my house to wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh no, they replied, we'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. 
Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. And they shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. No wonder Lot insisted that these men, these angels, get into his house. You see, Lot knew what the culture was like. Lot knew that the men and the boys of the city, the entire city, would want to have sex with these strangers because lust, perversion, was running amok. Lust and perversion sexually driven. We've seen it throughout Scripture, how perversion and lust wreak havoc on the lives of those who give in to it. These men were burning up for sexual pleasure. They surrounded Lot's house. So Lot stepped outside to talk with them, shutting the door behind them. Please, please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you could do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests and under my protection. Stand back, they shouted. The, the, this fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. Oh, how soon they quick on, how soon they turn a lot. This man, now they're saying this about Lot, comes into our town as an outsider, and now he wants to judge us. Quick they turn when you hold up a standard. When you raise a standard up. Did you hear what Lot said to these men? Don't do such a wicked thing. Here, I'll give you my two virgin daughters. Lot. Settle. In Sodom, he became so accustomed to them. He knows the perversion that is in the city. 
He knows that nothing will satisfy them until these men give in to the lust that is burning within them. So the only way to protect his guests was to give them his daughters. I couldn't even imagine being at a place that Lot had to bend to be willing to give up his daughters to a crowd of angry men and boys burning with lust. They weren't there for the women, for his daughters. They were there for the men. And as soon as the standard was raised up, they turned on Lot. Oh, so now you're judging us? Let's listen to what they say again. Verse 9. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow, Lot, came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge? We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunge towards Lot to break down the door. Oh, what we planned for your two guests, we're going to take care of you too, but it's going to be far worse, Lot. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, and bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. Wow. Wow. What a scene. What a scene. Listen, you all. Sin is sin. No matter how you dress it in your own life or how other people dress it in theirs, sin is sin. It's rebellion towards God. It is a total, complete rebellion. That's why we must not grow accustomed to it and just kind of become complacent with it and treat it as if it's nothing. If you are a Christian, you need to understand how serious it is. All the way back in Genesis, we are instructed, if you do what is right, will you not be rewarded? For sin is crouching at your door and its desire is to master you, but you must master it. We live in a generation where perversion is on the increase like we've never seen before in our lifetime. And it's only going to grow worse. And I'm just not talking about homosexuality. I'm talking about heterosexuals, straight people, living ungodly, doing how they want, when they want, who they want. When sexual sin it's on the increase. Oh, we better not grow complacent. 
we better not just step aside and allow it to continue to fester. No. Just like with any other sin or sinner, we need to raise a standard. First, not just by our mouths, but by our lives. Listen, we're not out there to, to, to beat down people. We're to be people who give people hope that there is a way out. And his name is Jesus. There is hope that you don't have to be enslaved to sin. There is hope for a future. There is hope. There is a newness of life. You can be born again. But if we just keep sitting back and treating it like it's nothing, God have mercy on us. The church. Yes. We want sinners to come to church. But the desire is that they don't, are not so comfortable that they remain in their sin. That we create an environment where it's like everything goes and everything's okay. No. We want sinners to be able to come in and see a community of believers. Men and women and children of God living differently and loving them. Encouraging them. Not people who are hypocrites talking both sides of their mouth. Not, oh, I'm in church today and now I'm in the club tomorrow. No, but, but people who are Christians living it consistently, even in their failures, even in their struggles, that they're still allowing others to see that God is still working in them in their lives and there's hope. There's hope. But our culture, our generation, the church is adapting to the culture. In order, in, in, in some way of thinking, that's how they're going to win them for Christ. But that's not how Christ did it. That's not what we see all through Scripture. Sin is confronted for what it is. Destruction. Wicked. Meanwhile, the angels question Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city, they ask? Get them out of this place, your sons-in-laws, sons, daughters, and anyone else. For we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord, and he has sent us to destroy it. Get them out of here. Get out quickly. Do you see... Lot. They could have just saved Lot, but they said, Lot, get your loved ones out of here. Do you realize as a Christian, the influence that you have on your loved ones? 
Some may listen, some may not, because look at this. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancé, Quick, get out of the city! The Lord is about to destroy it! But the young men thought he was only joking. They didn't heed the warning. They didn't heed the warning. And when I read that and I think about that, do you know why they didn't heed the warning? Because Lot didn't live the righteous life before them. How could they know Lot's God if, God, if Lot himself didn't live for his God? See, you, you'd be so quick to tell your kids and those that you love the things about God, and you shouldn't be doing this, and you shouldn't be doing that, and you shouldn't be doing this, but they look at you and they go, well, you're no different than me. So what's the purpose? What's the hope? Ah, oh, come on. Leave us alone. We're going to do what we want. They thought he was joking. The urgency of the hour. Get out of the city. The Lord is going to destroy it. Now all of a sudden you want to be godly, Lot. Now all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, Lot. Whatever. 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 They didn't respond to the warning. At dawn the next day, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. How many times have God has told you or has spoken to you and has warned you, stop doing what you're doing. Stop doing what you're doing. Rather that be through a preacher, rather that be through a friend, rather that be through scripture, rather that be through Facebook posting, however God wants to work in your life. A vision, a dream. He is warning you, stop going the way you're going. Or you're going to be swept away with it. The angels were insistent. Lot, get out. Isn't it interesting? Lot eagerly ran out to tell his sons-in-laws, get out, get out. But just as they became, huh, okay, Lot, whatever, I believe Lot began to settle back down. Because he was not on the move when the angels came back. Yes. He was still there. Mm -hmm. And isn't it interesting? He was so motivated to tell his sons-in-laws, get out, that he hadn't talked to his wife or his daughters. See, listen. Your complacency and you just remaining and just going along with it, you're going to be swept away with it. Careful. When the Lord is calling you out and you choose to remain. Careful. Careful. 
verse 16. Now we can learn a lot from Lot. When Lot still hesitated. Come on, Lot. Wake up. There was still that hesitation. The angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. The Lord was merciful. Underline that. Highlight that. The Lord was merciful. Have you ever just took a moment and gave him thanks for his mercy? Some here that we shouldn't even be sitting here today. The Lord was merciful. He snatched us out. Just like Lot. He was merciful. They seized Lot's hand. Lot wasn't going, you all. What happened, Lot? Here's the way out for you and your family. Why are you still there? He wasn't going. God displayed his mercy and snatched them all out. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, listen, run for your lives! And don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Listen, Lot, we have dragged you to safety, but now you have got to keep going. You keep going or you're going to be swept up in it, Lot. That's such a visual for us in our lives. God keeps revealing himself over and over. God has moved in your lives. He has shown up. He has snatched you out. He has, he has, he has made provision for you. But follow me. Keep going. Keep pressing in. Don't give up. Don't look back. Keep going. Live for me. Don't be rebellious. Honor me. Keep going to safety. Don't get on the path of destruction. Remember that path. There's a path that's wide that everyone is on. It's leading to destruction. But there's that path that is narrow for those who belong to God. Not everybody is going to find that. Because everyone who is not of God continues to crave their own appetites. And they're on that path of destruction. Lot, run, run. Run. Oh no, my lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life, and you have shown me such kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster would catch up to me there, and I would soon die. See? There is a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. 
Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said. I will grant you this request. I will not destroy the little village, but hurry. Escape to it, for I could do nothing until you arrive there. Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife, you all, looked back. As she was following behind him. And she turned into a pillar of salt. First of all, Lot, why are you ahead of your wife? Why aren't you rushing the women ahead of you? gaze upon from where you came. How many of you are still gazing upon that which God has brought you from? Or that God has warned you about? How many of you are still dealing with the same desires and appetites and you keep longingly looking back or even partaking of them? Salt back in those days was used to strip, to, to make the land barren, to strip it of its worth. She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. If you're calling yourself a Christian but your spiritual life is barren, it's because you keep looking back. You keep looking back gazing from where you came from. But can we understand this? What did she see when she looked back? Destruction. Destruction. What on earth are you looking back for? There's nothing there. Some of you could go back once you get up from this place, even if you could be sitting here and thinking of things that you shouldn't be thinking but you're going to get up and you're going to go right back to doing the very things you did yesterday or an hour ago to find purpose in your life, to find meaning, to find some sense of, of being. You're going to give in to the rebellious nature. You're going to give in to your appetite. You're going to give in to whatever. You're going to go back to that sin that so easily entangles you. And for what? For what? Nothing good will come from it. But it feels good. I want to do me. Oh, I want to live the Christian life. I, I just, I have got to have my relationship with God. Wow. Nothing good is coming from your life. And the sad thing is, is that those who desperately need to hear about Jesus, you're leading them to hell with you. Because they see nothing of Jesus. 
They know nothing of Jesus, and so they're looking and gazing back, or they're laughing every time you go to church or you talk about God. God bless me, God bless me, and yet you're right back doing the same thing you did. How is God blessing you? God doesn't bless those in rebellion towards him. He blesses the righteous. He honors the righteous, not the wicked. Careful, lest you forget the Bible says that the angel, I mean that, the, that Satan comes as an angel of light to deceive many. It feels good. It feels right. Surely God won't have a problem with this. Oh, careful. Because if you don't know your God, you're going to be led astray. How many of you are sitting here looking to find yourself apart from God? Do we not really see how self-absorbed we become as a society? Do we not see clearly what's going on out there? When's the last time you raised up a standard among your friends? When's the last time you said, oh, you know what, I, I'm not going to go that way. Hey, you all, I, I, I can't do that. As the days grow darker, you're to be growing brighter. But in that brightness, in that growth, don't expect everyone to gather around with you. As the days approach to Jesus' returning, the love of many is going to grow cold. That's why Christian fellowship is so vital in these days and in these hours. Not to be entertained. Being entertained is not fellowship. True fellowship. Getting in the word, encouraging each other, edifying each other, building each other up. Holding each other accountable. Because we know that sin is crouching at our door and it's desires to master us, but we must master it. How is our Christian youth walking away from the faith, trying to find some sense of identity and purpose in the things of the world? What have we done as parents and as grandparents? Do they see Lot in us? Do you see Lot in yourself? Then my prayer is that God would awaken us today and that we would get serious. That we would stop playing the weird games. That we would truly seek God. Lot's wife, she looked back. She looked back. And she lost her life. Because she longed for what was back there. And where the heck was Lot? Where are the men in this hour that are being men of God, leading their families? You don't think the enemy knows how to destroy? He does, because the Bible describes him as such. And how do you destroy families? Remove the men. Remove the covering. We live in a generation when women, when women, not all of them, but a strong movement of them 
I don't need a man. Women are not submitting themselves. Women don't understand the concept of a, a full submission. And men don't have the concept of loving their wives as Christ loves the church. And families are being torn apart. And for what? Because I got to do me. It's, a, it's what's what I want. It's how I want to live. It's what I want to do. Lot was looking out for himself. That's why he was so far ahead of his wife. And she looked back because he wasn't there to protect her. To tell her, come on, we've got to keep moving forward. We've got to keep going. This is serious, you all. This isn't just a good story. This isn't just, okay, church, ah, I went to church. No, this is serious. There's a generation of people dying and going to an eternal hell. And we want to play church. <laughs> Where are the men? Guys are settling for... For girls who, who, who are just a mess. They're running the show. Christian, don't go towards girls like that. They may put out. They may dress seductively. They may do whatever they want. But be careful, Christian. Of those women who are not looking for your covering as a man of God. And you women, be careful. You single women in here, be careful of men or boys who aren't men and young boys of God who don't have a concept of what it is to nurture and to love you and to protect you. Because nothing good will come from it. You will not be led. You will not have a covering. Your relationships will constantly be broken. But you can't be a young man and you can't be a man and you can't be a young girl or a woman of God <laughs> If you're not seeking God first. So if they're not seeking God, why are you seeking them? Why are you with them? Careful of who you're allowing in to your life. Because nothing good will come from. Lot was ahead of his wife. She looked back. Abraham got up the early the next that morning and hurried out to the place where he stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain towards Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke 
rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe. Isn't that interesting? Remember, Abraham, when he was speaking to the Lord, he did bring up Lot's name. But God knew who Abraham was interceding for. Removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. Afterward, Lot left Zorah because he was afraid of the people there. Remember the city he wanted to go to because he thought he would be safe? Yeah. <laughs> and he went to live in a cave in the mountains with his two daughters. My, my. One day the older daughter said to her sister, There are no men left anywhere in this entire area, so we can't get married like everyone else. And our father will soon be too old to have children. Come, let us get him drunk with wine, and then we will have sex with him. That way we will preserve our family line through our father. My God. Sodom and Gomorrah may have been destroyed, but Sodom and Gomorrah was still present within his daughters. Careful who you are allowing to influence you. Careful of trying to do things in your own flesh. It'll always be at war with what God is trying to do in your life. Careful. So that night they got him drunk with wine, and the older daughter went in and had intercourse with her father. He was unaware of lying down or getting up again. The next morning, the older daughter said to her younger sister, I had sex with our father last night. Hey, let's get him drunk with wine again tonight, and you can go in and have sex with him. That way, we will preserve our family line through our father. So that night, they got him drunk with wine again, and the younger daughter went in and had intercourse with him. As before, he was unaware of her lying down or getting up. As a result, both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their own father. When the older daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Moab. He became the ancestor of the nation known as the Moabites. When the younger daughter gave birth to a son, she named him Ben-Amin. He became the ancestor of the nation now known as the Ammonites. And both of those nations... In the history of Israel, they influenced Israel to turn from God. They fought against Israel. See, what you birth in the flesh will always come against that which God has for you. Ishmael, Isaac. <laughs> These two boys who were born. Careful what you choose to do, and careful for how you try to twist it in your mind, no matter how you try to twist it in your mind that this is the right thing to do, if it doesn't line up with what God has said, you better not do it. That older daughter should have known better. <laughs> that younger daughter should have known better. That older daughter had a great influence over the younger daughter. But what had a greater influence was their time that they spent 
and Sodom. Careful where you're raising your children. Careful, parents, in the area and what you allow into your home and what you allow yourself to do in front of them. Careful where you move them. Because they're going to be influenced by it. And if you're not godly, you're just holding a form of religion, don't react when your children does the same thing. Because there's no difference. It's what you raised them up to be. Careful. Careful of your decisions. And what may look right, and what may look acceptable, but if it's against God, Watch out, because you're training your children the way they ought to go, straight from God instead of straight to God. Careful, you all, in the way in which you're living. Go to Matthew, chapter 6. There is hope, you all. If you move to the wrong place, if you settle for the wrong thing or the wrong person, if you're enslaved to your sin, then get up and let your children see you get up. Get up and start living a life as unto God. Get up and start moving forward. <laughs> because then they're going to sit back. And they're going to see God at work in your life. And they're going to be drawn to that. Over time. Get up. And move forward. Yes it's scary. Yes it's the unknown. How am I to live now? Get up. When I was on my knees in that condo. And God said get up Rob. I got up. But it was after many of time. Of fighting with God. Like Lot. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. I don't want to go. But that day. Get up Rob. And that's what God wants us to hear today. Get up. Flee. From the place that you're at. And get going. Moving forward. To the place I'm calling you. Just as you influence people in your flesh begin to influence people in the spirit and don't beat yourself up over your past don't allow your past to be thrown up to your face to hold you down use it to get you to where you're going amen Melissa and I talked about that yesterday together. Listen, there's always going to be people in your life that's going to remind you of who you were and how you were. Praise be to God, that's who I once was. <laughs> when you acted like it an hour ago, that was an hour ago. It's in my past. This is who I am now. <laughs> I'm moving forward. I'm getting up. <laughs> I'm sorry for how I lived. I'm sorry for moving you into Sodom and Gomorrah. I'm sorry for what I've done and what I've allowed. I am at fault. 
See, it, 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 parents and, and grandparents and people, we just need to start taking responsibility. Yes! I screwed up! I own it! And in owning it, I'm laying it down. Because I know my Savior, and I know my God, that He has for me, and He has forgiven me. And He has given me the ability to get up and rise up from this and move forward. There's hope, you all. There's hope. Now we're moving into Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 7, chapter 7 through 14. And here we're going to see Jesus still teaching. And listen, we're going to confront a phrase that people like to use to silence you. How many of us heard it said, or how many of us have said this? Don't judge me. The Bible says you're not to judge. How many of you have heard that? How many of you have said that? Oh, it's interesting how phrases in the Bible can get twisted. Let's look at what Jesus lays out here. Chapter 6, verse 25. That is why I tell you not to worry. Remember, he was just teaching on storing up your treasures in heaven. He was teaching on money and possessions. And so now he picks up and says, That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or even enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in their barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to Him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Can you underline that? Can you highlight that? <laughs> and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about all these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and He will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. This is insight from Jesus, you all. Jesus, do not worry about what you will eat, what you will drink, or what you will wear. Don't be so consumed about these things. God is going to provide for you. God will take care of you. Look at what he says here. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. That's how an unbeliever thinks. A believer a true believer 
one who has been born again, they seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And in doing so, they have the assurance that as they're living righteously, honoring God, that God will provide everything they need. You don't have to search for someone else to meet the need for you. God will provide it. God will take care of you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. In Christ you are whole. You have all that you need. Don't look for the temporal things in life to make you whole. Because there's a lot of people who have a lot of things and are very empty and lost. Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrites! First, get rid of the log in your own eye. Then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, then turn and attack you. Listen. We are called as believers. As believers. To have discernment. To hold up a standard. Jesus himself teaches on discipline all through the New Testament. The church is even made aware of how they should discipline within the church. So to have discernment, to raise a standard, to discipline and hold others accountable, you're doing, you're judging. But your judging shouldn't be at a place that you think you're God. And you're judging someone harshly. Because in doing so, you're only going to reap it right back on yourself. Do you remember in Romans, when we've read Romans before? And Paul was like, ooh, look at this going on out in the world. These are people, how people are living. And then he goes, but you're no different than them. You're no different than them. Who are you to say anything about them? And he's talking to the church. And yet you do the very same thing. See, that's why you have to have the full text. That's why you have to have a full understanding of Scripture and not just pick and choose what you want. There's a lot of picking and choosing of Scripture in this society today. And if you hear just what other people want to pick and choose, and that's all you're hearing, and you don't have the full text, you'll go right along with them. But that's not what Jesus is saying here. Because did you see how he finished his teaching there? Look, deal with what's in your life first. So that then you can be used to help others. The lesson here is the right way 
of judging. Not just to take from this lesson that Jesus is laying out here. Oh, we're not to judge. Don't judge me. I'm going to do whatever I want. That's your truth. This is my truth. What is that? Careful. No, deal with your own issues first with God. Let God grow you and mature you so that you won't live a hypocritical life. And then, allow God to use you to help and to serve and to love others by giving them truth. Because how can you give truth to others if you don't believe the truth in which you're giving? How does that work for you? You're so quick judge others. You're so quick. And yet, when they're not looking, you're doing the same thing they're doing. What? And you may be doing it while they're looking, which even makes you even more cray-cray. Careful how you're living. Ultimately, remember, as believers, To live as Christ led. To serve and to love others. To give them hope in Christ. Not thinking we're better than others. Not thinking that we have it all together. <laughs> no, we're to remain low. We're not to be puffed up or prideful. We're to remain low. Low enough to wash other people's feet. To serve them. To love them. And then he goes from here. <clears throat> Verse 7. To teach on prayer. Keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be open. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who seek Him? So what is it that we can learn about prayer? Be persistent. Don't give up. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Verse 12. Do to others whatever you like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Very simple. Jesus is teaching do unto others as you wouldn't want to have done to yourself. And then here's that gate I was talking about earlier, that path. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell, to destruction, is broad, and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow. And the road is difficult. And only a few will ever find it. Do you understand this is Jesus saying this? Jesus does not make the Christian walk look like it's, 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 
you know, we're all floating on clouds and have wings and you know, it's just all glamorous and glorious. <laughs> no, the path in which he says he's calling you to is difficult. It is difficult because you, you're called to live it in a world, in a place that is still rebellion against God. And not everyone is searching for Jesus. <laughs> They're going to want to live how they want to live and do what they want to do and go their way. But that is a way of destruction. But those who find the narrow way, those who go the way of Christ, understand that when Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. Yet though this life may be difficult, don't get so bogged down on this life and its difficulties. No, keep your eyes on me. Because I'm getting you somewhere. You've got a place to go. This world is not your home. Go to Psalm 8. And we're closing now. Psalm 8. In this psalm, the psalmist writes about the creation. And in this psalm, God is revealed. His power is revealed. His creativity is revealed. And His wisdom is revealed. Such hope that we can gain from this psalm. O Lord, our Lord, Your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. You have taught children and infants to tell of your strength, silencing your enemies and all who oppose you. When I look at the night sky and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. You gave them charge of everything you made, putting all things under their authority. The flocks and the herds and all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, and everything that swims the ocean currents. O oh Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Wow. There is something to be said. When we allow ourselves to gaze upon creation. When there's times in my life when discouragement is weighing heavy on me. When I'm finding myself growing weary. When I need just to get a glimpse of how majestic he is. I love to stand in front of the ocean. And I'm learning now to even find even more beauty of his creation when I'm in the mountains. When I can go out back at night and stand and just gaze at the stars. When I see the birds come to the bird feeders, when I watch the squirrels play on the ground, when I'm entertained by my dogs or just hanging out with them. When I look at the earth and I go, oh God, 
it puts you in the right place. You're not going to be so filled with yourself. It can be overwhelming in a good way. If you're missing out on God, if you're feeling a disconnect with Him, go. How sad it is that the occult, all these other religions, find solitude and they and they look at creation as this majestic thing. And they're missing out on the one who created. They're worshiping the creation. But as Christians... No, we can gaze upon creation. We can see the beauty of creation. We can enjoy the beauty of it and acknowledge it. For God has given it to us to be good stewards of. But we're not to worship it because we know the one who created it. And we should be just excited as those who have twisted the truth when it comes to creation. Because we're connected to the Creator. I don't mind talking to people about God's creation. I don't mind talking to, to, to New Age people and have spiritual conversations with them. But I'm not just going to go along with their beliefs. No, if I'm going to have a dialogue with them, I want to share about the one who created it. For his, look at how it lends here, his majestic name fills the earth. And lastly, go to Proverbs chapter 2. Verse 6 through 15. We're still learning about wisdom, you all. <laughs> Verse 6. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He grants and treasure a common sense to be to be to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand what is right, just, and fair, and you will find the right way to go. For wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Wise choices will watch over you. Understanding will keep you safe. Wisdom will save you from the evil people, from those whose words are twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong, and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked, and their ways are wrong. What a great way to sum up today's lesson. Look at the benefits of wisdom, you all. For the Lord grants it. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity, who honor His word and their word. It's so funny how, again, 
we're living in a generation where everyone is claiming the benefits of God and not knowing their God. We're so quick to give people the principles of the kingdom, but not the king. There's a lot of people who are claiming uh, the, 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 the lordship of Christ and they haven't even bowed to him. Such fools. Such fools. To live in a way in which you're not. Could you imagine if I went to England and said I was the queen's son? Did whatever I wanted to present myself as such, but in reality, I'm not the queen's son. But somehow I've conjured up in my mind that I am. And yet, I'm not. That is not my desire for any of us. To continue to claim that we have been born again and we have been engrafted into his kingdom, that we belong to him in reality that we don't. I just don't want to peddle out the word of God just, just to lay it out and, and pretend like everyone is saved and everyone's getting saved because not everyone is. And you know if you are or not. <laughs> I don't have to come along and tell you. You don't, and someone else doesn't have to come along and tell you. You know. Search your heart. Are you living like one? Are you just claiming the benefits of a kingdom? And you really don't know the king. How sad. How sad. But those who know they are. Those who know that they've been born again. Look at the benefits that you reap. You don't have to question or to think twice. He is a shield. Look what it says there. For those with integrity, he will guard the paths of the just and protect those who are faithful to him. Then you will understand, look at this, what is right, just, and fair, and you will find, look at this, the right ways to go, for wisdom will enter your heart, and knowledge will fill you with joy. Look at this, underline, highlight, verse 11, wise choices watch over you, understanding will keep you safe. You will have wisdom, and you will have understanding, and look what you will be protected from. Wisdom will save you from evil people. See, those people who want to come in and influence your life to go the way of destruction. No, 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 right away you know. You discern, oh, wait a minute. That is contrary to what I know to be true. So no, no, I'm not going that way. Look what it says there. Wisdom will save you from evil people for those whose words are twisted. Twisted. These men turn from the right way to walk down dark paths. They take pleasure in doing wrong, and they enjoy the twisted ways of evil. Their actions are crooked, and their ways are wrong. Wow. This is what wisdom saves us from. This is what understanding gives us. This is what our God 
has done for us, you all. How majestic, how great is our God. How great is our God. So my prayer today is, take what you've heard. Take the notes when you get them. Go back and listen to this. Take time to really sit and examine yourself before God. And if you're not a child of God, then I pray that you would surrender your life to Him. If you once made a decision for God, but you've gone the ways of the wicked because you didn't heed wisdom and understanding, then my prayer is that you would turn back to God. And that you would find refuge. And then my prayer is, is if you're walking with God and you have the assurance, then keep fanning that flame because there's work to be done, you all. There's work to be done. But no matter where you find yourself today, I pray that you would be encouraged to know that your God is for you and not against you. That he has made a way out of destruction into wholeness. Jesus says, peace I leave you, peace I give you. Nothing missing, nothing broken. So as believers, we live out of that. We live out of that peace. Not out of our brokenness, but out of that peace. So allow this song to encourage you, and then I'll close us in prayer. Have found in you, you're the healer.